you want to take a Bible, we'll turn to Matthew, continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount. It's hard to believe it's been about five, five and a half years ago that I was graduating from my time at Covenant Seminary and was there for three years and looking back was probably spoiled in just the mere fact of the number of times I was able to sit each week under just great teaching and preaching. We had chapel at least twice a week. We had guest speakers coming in all the time. We had a number of great churches in the St. Louis area that had Sunday morning and Sunday evening services. And it became something to where you would hear many different men, many different styles of teaching and preaching, and all of which were very effective. But one of my one of my favorite, uh, I guess, styles of, of, of preaching, of, of hearing someone give a sermon, is when you hear a preacher get very engrossed in his message and, and excited, and he's building this case, and you don't exactly know where he's going, but there's truth here, and he's excited about that, and there's truth here, and he's excited about that, and then there's a moment in the message where it all seems to come together and, and be driven home and, and hit you on a heart level, and you're like, oh, that's where he's been headed. <laughs> he knows exactly what he was doing. He was setting me up to, to feel and think certain things, and now he's driving home his point to where it all makes sense, and it's all coming together uh, here at this point in the message. I think the passage that we're going to look at today is, is that moment for Jesus uh, the, the preacher of all preachers, in his Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying, Matthew 5 through 7. He has started off gathering his disciples together on the side of a mountain. Uh, others are listening in. A crowd is gathering to listen in to his teaching. But he's, he's talking to disciples, and he started off describing the character of what a disciple is like, totally changing their perspective of what they were expecting the kingdom to be like to now saying this is what kingdom life a follower in the kingdom looks like. He tells them that they are, are the salt and the light for a world that is in decay and in darkness. He tells them what that looks like, that he hasn't come to abolish the law, but to, to fulfill it. And, and, and this is what it looks like to fulfill the law, to be about not only not killing somebody, but getting to the root of what leads you to kill somebody, of anger and of, of malice in your heart of seeing not only are you not supposed to, to, to commit adultery, the act of adultery, but back it up and, and, and get rid of that lustful thought in your heart. And not only are you supposed to, to, to not divorce someone, uh, but to, to, to really treasure the institution of marriage and what it's for, to, to, to be a man, a woman of your word, to, to not retaliate, but, but even go to the extreme of serving uh, your, even your enemies, and loving even your enemies. And so the, the listener is, is taking all of this in, and, and it's a brand new perspective, what, what seems like new teaching, a new interpretation to their ears. And the questions in their hearts are, are bubbling up of, how in the world can anybody do that? How can anybody sustain that kind of a sacrificial living? Of, of giving up of what seems natural to, to love people like that, to, to serve people like that, to be this salt and this light, to have this character of a disciple. And Jesus starts to say in chapter 6, 
which we studied in the last couple of weeks, that it has to do with where you're seeking a reward, whether it's a, a heavenly perspective, seeing what is unseen, or an earthly perspective of, of seeing just what's in front of you and taking that as all there is. And so he gives an example of the Pharisees and the scribes and says, hey, look at them. They practice their righteousness for people to see. They pray in public in grand ways. They, they fast so that everybody knows that they're fasting, but they receive their reward. And then last week we looked at how we ought to pray, things we ought to pray for, which was basically a, a vision of saying, man, there's more to this, this life than what meets the eye. And that we need to regularly have our hearts reoriented around God's perspective of things, His vision for what we're to be about, and then to interpret our reality through that. And then comes the passage before us today where He drives it home, and He basically says this. When you get down to it, when you're feeling that sense of, how do I live this way? How do I not live for earthly rewards but heavenly rewards? Jesus is going to say to us today, it comes down to who you trust. It comes down to who you trust. Do you trust what's right in front of you, earthly, material things? Is that where your hope is? Or do you trust in the unseen God um, who has revealed himself through Jesus, his son? Who do you trust? That's a big question. Um, trust is, is becoming something that's more and more hard to earn and hard to give. Uh, do you trust the candidates for the presidential office? Do you trust the promises that they are, are making right now leading up to election? Um, do you trust uh, the person that is, is trying to sell you something that's knocking on your door? Do you trust that the product is going to be all that they tell you it's going to be? Uh, do you trust the news sources that you receive your information by, that you get their side of the story that's been tweaked and some stuff's been left out and some stuff's been added here and there to, to, to get their point of view? It's harder and harder to take things at face value and to trust them, especially the more you've been burned. What we need in order to trust someone or something is to know that that, that person or that thing is, is able to deliver and then has proven that they're willing and faithful to deliver. I've got kids that I talk about way too much. Um, one of them is, is 10 months old, and our four-year-old wants to pick him up and carry him around and be a little mommy all the time. And I don't trust her, her motives. I think she loves him. But the look on his face when she's trying to carry him around, I don't trust her ability not to drop him on his head, you know. Um, on the other side of things, there's people that would have the ability to take care of my 10-month-old, but I don't know them. I don't know that they are, are willing to love him the way he needs to be loved. It, it's hard. It's hard to have that combination of someone that, you know, is able to deliver and to take care of you or, or the thing that you're trusting them with, but also willing to, to give what needs to be given and faithful to do so. Jesus is going to say to us today, trust me. You're going to make a choice. Things of this world or me. And he's saying, trust me. Let's look together at the passage. 
starting in verse 19 of chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There's a progression in the thought here in this crucial and pivotal passage of the sermon, where Jesus first of all states, hey, let me tell you what the truth is, what the reality is. And the truth is that you are making an investment. Whether you know it or not, you're investing in something. He says that we have treasures that we we place our treasures on earth. He says the thing about the the treasures that we we store up for ourselves on earth um, are guaranteed to to go under harm. It's either passive harm of, of decay, and we all know that. Things just fall apart. If you don't believe that, um, buy a house and w- just wait. You don't have to do anything for things to start to wear out. Um, we bought a house five years ago when we moved to Macon, and it was just about that, that 15 to 20-year mark where things start to wear out. And so the last five years, we've had to replace hot water heaters and furnaces and air conditioning units and whatever else. Things just wear out. That's just the nature of things on earth. Passive harm. But there's also active harm, which is this, this destruction. Not only do moth and rust destroy, but thieves break in and steal. There's, there's an active harm or destruction where, what, like it or not, um, money just flies from your hands. It's a, a limb that falls on your car, or it's, a, it's whatever it is. It's a, it's a child that has a big slushy that spills all over that brand new couch, or whatever it is. There's active harm that we experience on earth. So Jesus is saying, hey, there's no use and there's no benefit in selfish accumulation or even the dream of abundance that is going to suffer harm. If you store up treasures with those intents, it's going to suffer harm. Contrast that, he says, with storing up things in heaven, which are safe from harm. Moth and rust do not destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. He's saying... Store up things, put your investment in things that are God's causes, that are God's people, that are God's way, and it'll be safe. And we were watching the Olympics last night. We've been doing that on a, on a day-to-day basis, trying to catch up on what all is going on during, the, during the, the day that we've missed. And last night we were watching the swimming competition, and there was a female swimmer from the nation of China and they were talking about her, uh, the, the commentators were, and saying she, is, she just was blowing away the competition. I mean, by, by seconds, you know, she was beating everybody else in the, in the pool. And they said at one point she even did a lap that was as, as, as fast as one of the fastest men in the men's competition. And so speculation started flying, you know, with the reporters. They're saying, okay, either she is phenomenal and will be the, one of the world's greatest swimmers and go down in history in years to come, or she is doing what some of the other Chinese swimmers have been, have been found out to do, and she's 
is using performance enhancing drugs. Now they're, they have no proof of that at this point, but they're saying time will tell whether she's truly one of the world's greatest swimmers or whether she's been <coughs> using performance enhancing drugs. And my wife looked over at me and she said, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody knowingly use that stuff uh, even if it gets them the gold medal? They're standing up on the gold medal stand knowing that the other two people are truly better than them. And the only way they were able to win was by cheating, by using something that, that was not natural to en enhance their, their skills. What was she saying? She was saying, hey, that person made an investment. But they invested in something that even if they get an outward reward, inwardly and on a deeper and more important level, they know that they're not as good <laughs> as the other people who, who did it the honest way. A something of what Jesus is saying here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's saying you're making an investment. It's either going to be something that suffers harm and it doesn't last, or something that even if you can't see it readily right now, is safe and guarded and will prove fruitful in the future. The point is you're making an investment, and our hearts naturally become tethered to where our treasure is located. And that's where he moves from there is that's the truth. You're making an investment, but then he gives a test. He says your gaze can tell you where your heart is fixed, where your investment has been. Uh, so he says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He's, he's given two, two kind of tests here. First is a, a diagnostic type test of, Hey, take, take this test and kind of see where you fall. Are you over here or are you over here? Um, examine yourself. And he's making a statement here for those that are reading this and hearing this sermon and hear, you know what, where my eye is fixed is on wealth. It is on the security that that might bring me. And then he's saying if that's where you can't move your gaze off of that, if that's where it's fixed, then you're more than likely not a believer. Folks that don't believe in God, whether it's atheist or just you know secular, um, if if there is no God, then hoarding and accumulating wealth only makes sense because who wants to run out of, of money if this is the only life that we have? But if you if you live for wealth, what he's saying is that it's a it's a, a telltale sign that your, your eye is dark, that you have no hope um, unless God is to grant renewal to help you see what you're living for. So there's a, there's a diagnostic side of this test of, hey, if where you're looking tells whether or not you're trusting in God or in money. But the other side of it is, is kind of a, what I call a recertification. I, I worked for two summers at the Irwin County EMC on a line crew. To, to help power lines, help fix power lines. And the guys that were the authorized, um, certified guys would have to every few years go through a recertification course. Now, they were expert linemen. They had all the credentials. But they still had to take recertification courses. And when they would do that, they would be, it would be shown to them what their bad habits had become over the years. They knew what was right and what was wrong. But, they, you know, we all develop bad habits. And so that would be corrected by an instructor at these recertification courses so they could get recertified and continue uh, fixing power lines safely. Well, that's the other side of this is 
for those that, that know God and say, hey, I, I'm not, I know I shouldn't be living for money. I know that what I want to live for is a relationship with God and investing in His kingdom. But I'm seeing now that where my eyes are looking are in trusting, are, are, are in wealth and things of this world. And so I've fallen into bad habits. And so he's saying, hey, here's a chance. If that's you, to see that revealed and remember and act out who you truly are. There's a play on words here that connects it to, uh, to the, the previous paragraph where he says, if your eye is, is good, which is literally healthy or can be translated generous, um, then he's saying, hey, you're, you're, you're doing what's right. You're, you're, your, your eye is good, then you're seeking out your neighbor's good. You're being generous. You're being focused not on his goods, but on his good. Um, and you, so you're content and you're thankful. But he's saying if your eye is bad, which could be translated corrupt or even envious, then he's saying that your focus is on things of this world. And it's getting very practical. Where I found it to work itself out is in simple things like flipping through magazines. When the ad, car ad says to the man, picture yourself behind the wheel of a whatever if you start to picture yourself behind the wheel of the whatever you're going down a path that's leading you to to desire to be envious of these material things or if the ad says you know picture your new kitchen or these new set of clothes or whatever it is and and the 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 lady starts to picture man i wish i had that kitchen i want that kind of countertop and these kind of cabinets and everything else then you're going down the, the, the road of envy. It's not, it's not bad to treasure uh, in, in the sense of appreciate those things, but to, to treasure them on a heart level of being envious, and I've got to have those, is what Jesus is warning against. There's things today that we've never dealt with before, things like Facebook and Pinterest. I don't know if you've heard of any of those things, but they're, they're addictive. You get in these things and you see what everybody else has got and what everybody else is doing and what their kitchens look like and their cars are driving and it's so easy to walk down that road of man look at my life <laughs> look at where i am i don't have those things jesus is saying hey that's a diagnostic test if you're trusting in that if that's all you can see um then then you may not be seeing the bigger picture of who god is and what it is to live for him if you know better, then maybe it's a wake-up call to say, hey, you're falling in some habits. You need some recertification. Get your eyes off of that and back on the things of the Lord. She's telling you the truth. You're investing in something. He's giving you a test, and then he calls for a decision. He says, choose today whom you will serve. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. God and money, or in other translations, mammon. Now we may ask the question, well, why do we have to choose? Uh, many of us today struggle with the uh, whole idea of, well, you know, I, I want God. I like God. You know, I'm cool with Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. He's my friend. But God or faith is a hobby is the way most of us treat it. Faith is, is one thing that we do during the week. We'll give God our Sundays, but not our money through Saturdays. Money through Friday is work, and Saturday's mine, and then Sunday's God's. So it's one of many things that I do. So why do I have to choose? Or 
we view God as an employer of, okay, I work for God, but I've also got these other two or three bosses, and I can, I can, I can balance two or three jobs and still work it out all right. But God doesn't say that he's your employer. He doesn't say that faith in him is a hobby and one of many things. He says what? No one can serve two masters. He's saying you are going to be a slave to something and to someone. It's either me and my way or it's material things. It's the things of this world. Mammon is, is literally, uh, if you to translate it, it's, it's the, the definition is a trusted thing. Uh, money is one of those things that it demands no exclusive loyalty. It's fine with you trusting in money and also things like status and power and pleasure. It, it, it'll take a place at the table. It just needs some, some attention thrown to it. And usually money ends up serving deeper sins, the sins of security. You know, why do, why do I spend so much time checking my bank account balance? Because I'm scared. I want to be, I want to be secure that, you know, things are, are, are going to, I want to trust in that. If, if I just plan enough and, and have my budget all set right and things will just work out right, then I can have some security. Well, we just said things on this earth are going to decay and or are going to be actively destroyed. Things are going to happen. If that's where our hope and security is, it's going to be short-lived. Or it's pride. It's the sense of if I can accumulate enough stuff, then look how important I am and look how I can look down on others. Or it's selfishness. I want to feed my pleasure. I want to feed my desires, not the things of the Lord. Jesus is saying, hey, you've got two options, two ways of life you can live here. You can have two ways to give yourself to. There's two options of who you trust. You can trust things of this world, whatever they are, or you can trust God. And let me just tell you, it's so much easier to trust things. Even knowing the fact that they're not going to last, it's almost like we're prideful enough to say, yeah, but if I can hedge it a little bit more, if I can just get this X amount more dollars, or if I can just plan my budget just a little bit better, or whatever it is, then it'll give me that security that I long for. Or it'll give me that pride of place that I've been searching for. A person is so much harder to trust and deal with. Because they're a person. <laughs> um, it, the question of, are you going to be faithful again? I know you provided all these times that I can think back and list. But are you going to do it again this week? And part of the problem there is we haven't had that with human relationships. People, sooner or later, fail you. Even the best intentioned people. And so to transfer that to... God is hard to say, God, why are you any different than these people that have failed me all of my life? We had devotions last night like we do before we put the kids to bed, and we read uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones' Jesus Storybook Bible, which is just great. Um, and it came to the, the story, the parable that Jesus gave in Matthew 13 of the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And uh, in, in her interpretation for the kids, talk, it got little pictures, and it pictures the guy going out and clink, clank. You know, he hits something with his shovel, and he says, what is this? He opens it up, and he sees the treasure there. And so he goes, and he sells everything he has, goes and buys this field, and then because he's bought this field, he gets this treasure that he's so longed for. He says, the kingdom of God is like that. You should go sell everything. 
to get this treasure. And so I started asking the kids, just, you know, what, what, what do you treasure more than Jesus? And they were looking at me like, what does that mean? And so I said, well, let's get specific. And I picked up Mickey Mouse, and I looked at Naomi, and I said, if you had to choose between Mickey Mouse, your stuffed animal Mickey Mouse, or Jesus, what would you choose? And she was like, Jesus? And then she, I said, what about you, Nathan? If you had to choose between, and I started thinking, I was like, Legos. If you had to choose between Legos or Jesus, what would you choose? And there was a, a definite pause. <laughs> like, Daddy, do I really have to choose between Legos or Jesus? It was kind of this, and so I had to work through what, I'm not saying Jesus is going to make you choose, but what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm telling you is that what this story is teaching is that Jesus is the biggest treasure of all. A relationship with him is more satisfying, is more important, is more crucial than Legos or Mickey Mouse stuffed animal. And Annette and I were talking about it later. We were laughing a little bit about it. We're also talking about it. You know, to be guided daily by love for Christ is a difficult thing. To have what we know to be true about what Jesus has done for us inform and guide and shape day-to-day decisions and day-to-day security and day-to-day hope is a hard thing. Because it's a choice between the unseen versus the seen. Between the God that, that, that governs all and the things that we the circumstances that we see right in front of us. Do you know Christ as Redeemer? As reconciler, as justifier, the Bible presents us. If you know him as that, the question is, do you love him? If you know him as redeemer, do you know that you have been bought? You have been bought at a price. Bought back. He owns you. That he is a reconciler. He's not only a reconciler, he's reconciled you. He's turned, he's done everything that satisfies God's wrath so that God's turned in favor towards you now. And then not only that, he's taken you who had no right to be turned and turned you to God and said, look, come back together, I've made peace. You can have the relationship that you were made for. You'll know him as justifier that he's paid the penalty for your sins. And he's wiped them clean, he's done everything to take your punishment and to give you his perfect record know him in that and you start to love him for what he's done for you then and only then can you answer the question of can I trust him you say I know you as this God now I love you because of what you've done and as I think about it now I can trust you which then leads to obedience in the day to day things those are the, the day to day processes that we have to walk through to have our hearts reoriented and that was what I was trying to communicate and feel like I I failed to do so last week with the importance of the Lord's Prayer that's why Jesus says when you pray pray this way our Father in heaven hallowed be your name in other words remind yourself who God is and then your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven not only say, hey, God, I know who you are. I'm reminding myself of who you are. But, but now I'm reminding myself of, of I love you. I want, my, I, want, I want your kingdom to be what I'm about. And then to trust him. So God, give me my daily bread. Forgive me for my sins. Because I know you're faithful to do so even again. And lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one today. 
know who God is, love Him for what He's done for you personally, and then trust Him on a day-to-day basis in the little thousands of little tiny decisions for obedience. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He's saying you can't do any of these things that I've just called you to on your own. You can't be the disciple that I'm describing here on your own. But you can as you grow in knowledge and love and trust of who I am and for what I've done for you. Let's pray that he do that today in us. God, we thank you. We confess that we often fall into either habits or maybe even today we're realizing that we have served as a, as a orientation, heart orientation and lifestyle another master besides you. And God, we pray for those that, that don't know you, that are maybe having their eyes open for the first time, that what they've given their hearts to, even though they, they know about you, has been something other than you. Pray that they would give their life and trust to you and find you trustworthy, willing and able to meet their deepest need. For those of us that know you and find ourselves needing a recertification, a, a, a vision, a test of what bad habits we've been falling into, of how we've fallen into the temptations to be envious, to to not be generous, but to think for the things of this world and, uh, and to see our circumstances as all there is rather than you and what you're up to behind the scenes. We pray that you would help um, forgive us for our sins, help us to repent and turn from those and to trust you in a fresh and new way, to know you for who you are and to love you for what you've done for us specifically and then to give ourselves to you in trust and obedience. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.